On the Empire Podcast this week, we talked to newly minted Best Actress Oscar winner Julianne Moore and ask her why she's so bloody great. And then we welcome husband-wife writing team Chappies Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell into our pod booth and ask them why they're so chuffy and adorable. All that and more hard-hitting movie journalism to come on the movie podcast that can't help but worry about the logistics involved if Bruce Banner and Natasha Romanoff have sex. I mean, what if he, uh, you know, at the... And then... Chris, here's a, here's a thought. Mm-hmm. What if the Hulk effect is a bit like steroids and it only makes some parts of your body bigger? I was wondering about this, Helen. Mm. I was. You know, that would be a useful thing. I and mean, then you could reverse it the other way. I've been thinking about this in too much detail today. Anyway, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, the two colleagues, that's the new format, in case you haven't twigged by now. This year, we're using just three people every week instead of four um, because of reasons. It's been three years, and finally, we've got a new format. It's a new format. One. Fewer people. One fewer people. <laughs> and, and more grammar. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the two colleagues, especially for Cunning, you've just heard them joining me for a good old cinematic chinwag on this World Book Day. We're recording this on World Book Day. Oh, who, lo- who doesn't love books and, and, and worlds? Uh, I'm a huge fan of days, so these are my three favourite things all coming together. Um, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, whose favourite book is... Apparently here, um, Helen. Hello, yes. 101 Things You Can Do With a Winchester. <laughs> is this true? Um, that, that isn't a book that exists yet, Chris. <laughs> um, <Are> you... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, a favourite book is, is an impossible uh, task. Uh, today, I'll give my that's Lord not... of the Rings answer. That's... It's an easy one. Let's not go favourite book. Okay. Let's go, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? I am currently reading Chris Hadfield's book about being an astronaut. An astronaut does he know you've got it? Earth. Um, yes, he does, yes. Okay, that's good. Because it's um, signed to it's, me, oh, thanks what? to our West Coast editor, James White. No. Yeah. No way. What a nice wow. guy. Uh, tell people who Chris Hadfield is in case you don't um, know. He is an astronaut. He's the one who did the David Bowie song in space, <laughs> which I highly recommend watching on YouTube if you haven't seen it already. Yes. Uh, he's wonderful. Yes, he's and he has the an, uh, an amazing moustache. He's the Canadian guy who has a tash. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, fantastic. By the way, he's related to Benedict Cumberbatch very distantly. I once said that he was American by accident. I wasn't going to mention that. And the internet tore me apart. <laughs> <laughs> I am just chunks of meat and bone, <laughs> and a talking mouth getting grammar wrong. And uh, and you are, of course, our film fact fiend, Mr. Ali Plum, uh, whose favourite book. Is uh, and Ali, I don't know if this is, is this right. Um, is the What a Fucking Idiots Christmas Annual? Is this is this right? Yeah, there are two coming out this year. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them in June. Both, yeah. Oh God, look at us! Um, one of the favorite features now. There's crosswords. There's puzzles. There's all sorts of song lyrics, of course. Uh, and there's a, a very very good special on how to get your Chris Hewitt body in just six weeks. <laughs> That's a guarantee. Ali, what are you reading right now? I'm reading, and by this I mean I started reading this a bit ago and now it's a bit later, but in theory I'm still reading it. The Bible. Uh, the Bible. The Bible. Uh, no, is Enam Banks' Use of Weapons. Amazing book. Uh, which is very good. I'm just not reading it as much as I should be. Do you know I've never read an Ian M. Banks novel? The, the M. Banks are better than the Banks. Really? Yeah. I said it. The M. is for good. Really? Yeah. 100%. Okay. You know, Ian Rankin writes stuff. Good yeah. point. The Scottish author. Okay. I wonder if he, you know, he should add an M to his name and write science fiction novels. Science fiction but, crime novels. Yeah, but with the same characters. I'm just about to start on, and you'll like this, Helen. Yeah. Because I can't say it for one thing. 
The Abominable. Oh, I said it. Christ. You did? Uh, I did say it. I usually have problems with that. The Abominable ah, yes. by Dan Simmons. Dan, Dan Simmons is a favourite of both of us. He is. He's, he's amazing. I really enjoyed that one and it made me feel not only like I wanted to climb Everest, but like I already had, which is pretty good. I feel like I've been there and done that now because I read that book. <laughs> you kind of have um, because, you know, you're, you're awesome and you run marathons. You're running the marathon, I'm, aren't you? I'm going to be running a marathon. Yes, let's not yes. get ahead of ourselves here. Um, is this up a mountain or is this, where is this marathon? It's run Tell London. Uh, yeah, okay. So myself and Ollie Richards. So it's a marathon uh, in London. There is a marathon in What's London. What's it called? It's called the London Marathon. The London Marathon. It's called Nike River Run. <laughs> Nike River Run. I'm also doing a Nike run this year, but it's only 10K. But no, the uh, the marathon uh, is on uh, April 26th. Myself mm-hmm. and Ollie Richards, also of this parish, will be running on behalf of the NSPCC, which is a very good cause. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad worked there for like 27 years, uh, basically saving kids from bad people. Uh-huh. Um, so it's one that's like close Batman. to my heart. Essentially like Batman, except a bit cuddlier. Yeah. Uh, should we have some questions? Let's do it. That's, well, we only have one this week. That's another change to the format. I don't know if you've noticed. You've noticed we're only, really only doing one question. Three people, one question. It's the age of austerity, everybody. Uh, here's a question from at Mikey P. London, who asks, Listening to the Kingsman spoiler special made me think, oh, that's nice. What are the best directors who started as producers? And then he puts in brackets, M. Vaughn, Madame Vaughn. Matthew Vaughan, who of course was the producer of Lockstock, Two Smacky Barrels, Snatch, a Me Machine. Best directors who started out as producers. Not that many. Not that many, actually, no. Um, I mean, in recent years, the only one that came to mind, apart from obviously Matthew Vaughan, um, was Frank Marshall, who's done some decent films, mm-hmm. um, but probably is not is still best known, I think it's fair to say, as a producer. Um, but stuff like Alive and uh, was it Eight Dogs? What am I forgetting? Eight below zero. <laughs> Wild dogs. <laughs> well, he did. He did do. Um, he did do that film, didn't he? Yeah, with he did. Paul Walker. Yeah. It's, it's not called Eight Dogs. It's it's called <laughs> it's something called... not a million miles off that. <laughs> Some dogs. <laughs> a dog. <laughs> Eight below. One fewer dog. Eight below. <laughs> Maybe. And it is about dogs, and it's uh, it's very nice, <clears throat> but uh, but it's probably not you know one of the old time greats. But he did arachnophobia. As he well. did do arachnophobia so and Congo. And Congo. A lot of people have a lot of love for Congo. Do they? <laughs> Genuinely, there was a thing this week. Um, Do they? Th- there was a thing this week where Den of Geek. Um, Den did of a, Geek. They did a, like a, a reappraisal of Congo. It was quite short, as <laughs> I recall. But uh, they did it. It was there. I saw Congo in the cinema. My main problem with Congo is that Bruce Campbell is in Congo. And um, at no point does he drink Mbongo. But also... He gets killed off, spoiler, uh, far too early. He gets killed off um, before the credits roll. I thought that the apes were, like, fantastically bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were just, you know, it's as if, like, the neck gap between the, the top of the fake ape head and the rest of the suit mm-hmm. would just be cocked and you'd see bits of skin and it was just a bit lame. And when yeah. they beat that guy to death in the cave, it's just lame. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that bit, but I do remember <laughs> there's a bit where uh, they're setting up camp by a river, and someone starts singing "California Dreaming," and then everybody joins in, and then it turns into this thing where everybody's singing "California Dreaming," and it's as bad as you might think. <laughs> so that's my reappraisal of, of Congo. But oh. arachnophobia is fantastic. Yeah, um, the, I think <clears throat> probably the right answer to this, with all respect to Matthew Vaughan, is probably Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, 
you could argue whether he maybe started as a writer, but he was a producer for a while before he became a director. Mm-hmm. Um, and he directed things like All About Eve, Guys and Dolls, Cleopatra, Rubbish. the original Quiet American, <laughs> uh, and the original Sleuth. I mean, oh, that's, a, that's yeah. a pretty good list. It is a good list. So, probably uh, him, really. It's not as good as Erwin Allen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Erwin um, Winkler, he's producer of things like Goodfellas, mm. The Last of Us, Scorsese. Um, he he produced he directed a number of films, including the Sandra Bullock movie The Net. So I think he automatically leaps to the top of any list. But honestly, seriously, it's it's weird. Not that many people have done it. You think of the great, or at least certainly the most uh, high profile producers of the last twenty thirty years. So you're thinking of your Bruckheimers and your Joel Silvers and people like that. And very few of them have shown any inclination to step in front of the behind of the camera. Behind of, behind of the camera. Welcome to the Grandma Podcast, <laughs> where things will be mispronounced and said. You are welcome. Um, <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's because it would be a step back for them in terms of power. Maybe this shows the limits of the auteur theory. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the fact that more producers don't want to direct shows that they know that they're already at the top of the pyramid. Uh, maybe I don't know. Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm. I mean, he, has he not been directing a lot of his films for a while? I mean, well, and you could say they all bear a similar stamp in that many of them are terrible. Um, but no, I don't. I don't. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding, Jerry. Come back. Uh, no, I love. I love Conair. I love The Rock. I love so one of the all. bad boys. Uh, you know, it's. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's all good. It's all good, Jer. Um, Joel Silver's great. Yeah, I love him as well. Um, Phil DeSemlin wanted me to mention something. Did he? There's a film called The Bad and the Beautiful, which deals directly with this issue by showing what happens when a Selznick-esque producer, Jonathan Shields, played by Kirk Douglas, yes. starts this directing is, for himself. And so it's all about how he kind of is a bit crap mm. when he actually comes down to, you know, saying action and mm. making tension or humour or... It's tricky. Like that. It's a completely different skill set. But interesting enough, it, it, some people do transfer. I think Matthew, Matthew Fawn has transferred very, very nicely to the director's mm. chair. But it is tricky. And also, I'm trying to think, there's a guy who produced Cloverfield a couple of years ago who... Spielberg? Matt Reeves. A, Abrahams? No. Abrahams? J, 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 F, J, F, Abrahams? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, F. Murray Abrahams. F. F. Murray <laughs> Abrahams, and he's had to go directing. He's, he's got something coming out this year, which is quite good, apparently. Um, and then, of course, this guy Spielberg produced a number of films. and, um, and uh, He didn't and start off producing Spielberg, no, though, did he? I he think didn't. he did some little-known indie stuff first. <laughs> yes, he did. That's exactly it. Um, but, yeah, it's a tricky one. If you can think of anyone we haven't thought of, or anyone we haven't mentioned, or any glaring omissions... Or you want to just correct our grammar? <laughs> By all means, do send in uh, your questions or your corrections to uh, our Twitter feed. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. Uh, we are also on Facebook, uh, where you can poke us or just send us a message. And you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Getting a lot of spam in that one recently. Oh, no. Mm. Time now for our first guest, or should I say, guests. Guests, because there are two of them. Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell are the husband slash wife writing team behind Blomkamp's directorial debut, District 9, for which they were both 
Oscar-nominated. Uh, now they're reteaming in this week's Chappie about a South African police robot who's reprogrammed and may become sentient. Ooh. Blomkamp and Tatchell came in uh, a couple of weeks ago to talk about their new movie, Terry's Restaurant in Vancouver, uh, what their collective nickname is, and there's a couple of things in there about a little movie that Blomkamp's directing next, uh, something to do with an alien. I'm not quite sure what that's about, but anyway. And they were talking to Nick Descendian and myself. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell, co-writers of Chappie. Welcome. How are you guys? Good, thanks. Good. Excellent. Excited to be here. Obviously, you work together, you wrote together on District 9 as well as Chappie, but Terry, you said that initially you weren't going to be writing on Chappie, but you almost had a tie yourself the train tracks you told Nick that very first thing no it was actually uh, we weren't going to ever work together ever ever again again, is what it was and then he uh, he woke up and told me what was amazing uh, premise he had for a film that was pretty much fully formed on waking and immediately I begged please let me I just loved it it was I just fell in love with it immediately and uh, I think I think he said yes before he got to the bottom of no, the we, stairs no we just yeah no we had it was like off to District 9 it was just a case of like wanting you know do you like do you let work kind of come home and not not that I mean I never stop working like I, I literally don't have an off button alright so my off button should be like at home then other people aren't accelerating not having an off button. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like, I, when, I, when I'm at home, it's like, let me just at least have 50% of my brain that isn't working. He, he doesn't want to be woken I, up in the night. She literally inundates me with stuff. Like, that's true. <laughs> and that's what I didn't want. So I was like, we're going to put an end to working together. Yeah. You know, Even though it's totally beneficial for me to work together, it's like, yeah. I just, let's have a balance. Uh-huh. And it seems to have crept back now. That what the, the, the working craziness? together? No, the working. Oh. Like we'll have to like. <laughs> I didn't wake you up again. once yeah. in the night. No, no. Now, well, we have your yeah. your next film. I'm not. Doing with him, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, I don't have that thing like where yeah. a lot of artists refer to refer. I have incredibly vivid dreams and like very visual dreams, but they they don't really ever drive, uh, you know, film or story for me. It doesn't it doesn't really work that way. I had one rad one once where I was in a Chinook helicopter <laughs> that was like connected by some high tensile wire to a way bigger chopper. And all the windows in the Chinook were like covered in precipitation and like moisture and I kept having to wipe it to see like thousands of other Chinooks hanging from bigger choppers. And I woke up and I was like, that shit is cool. I'm put that in a film. And then I, it like went away. I didn't ask to work on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't for her. So there's a lot of military hardware in your dreams too. <laughs> yeah. okay, that's rare. No, but that's rare. See, that's why maybe it stood out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask about Hugh Jackman's character, Vincent, who is <laughs> astonishing. I, I didn't kind of see it coming mm-hmm. from the trailers, but he's a great character. He's yeah, kind he's of cool. David Brent meets Lord Humongous from Mad <laughs> yeah. Max or something. Yeah. And the shorts are amazing. Yeah. Like, where, where did that guy come from? Well, I think, I'm trying to remember because, like, I have a terrible memory, but I think, I know that by putting Dion Ford in the film, there was this merging of fiction and reality in a way that I really liked because they were playing themselves. And I tried to do that in a few other places. Like, for instance, the weapons company that we filmed the movie in that is mm-hmm. Tetra Ball. I, I went out of my way for six months to try to get, because we filmed it in a real South African state-owned weapons company, I tried to get the actual company, which would be similar to putting like Lockheed or something in a movie. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like you're advertising a weapons company, yeah. which is, you know... M- ethically a whole other discussion but the blurring of reality was very interesting to me and so with Hugh because my brain was working in that way I wanted to make him Australian so he wasn't his accent wasn't synthetic you know I wanted to kind of use those inspirations to drive his character but then because of like some sort of you know over the top nature that I think I have in 
in fiction, I guess I just got pushed to the point that he had a mullet and like was an Australian farmer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember, the one thing I do remember, I remember telling Terry this and like we were researching um, because he was religious and obviously his point of view was, you know, to not do God's work and to to not play with creating a new life form. Um, he was going to not swear because of that. And so I wanted to research all of the, remember this, like with the researching, we researched like all these Australian slang, just really ridiculous terms without swearing that he could say. And like that was probably the, the, because I really don't like writing, but that was the only part of writing that was like hysterically funny where I was writing (laughs) shit like as cross as a frog in a sock and stuff. That's the only one that made it in, isn't it? Dunny Rat. No, no, they're all in. Dunny Rat stuck in my head. No, they're literally all in. in? They're all in. We we had an Australian colleague who used to uh, use soft cock as an insult. (laughs) So we were hoping that would pop up. That's a fantastic. I I might use that. Let me go ahead and say that I didn't (laughs) see that. <laughs> one, but if I had yeah, seen that, that would have been in for sure. Yeah, Southcote would have been in there. Yeah, we always used to say to him, "Why is that an insult? Why is it a bad thing? Why, <laughs> my, do you want my?" Co- <laughs> if you yeah. follow that through to his logical conclusion, it, you take yeah, it, yeah. it takes yeah. me some very dark. Yeah, areas, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I was at Comic Con a few years ago uh, when you were doing the press conference there for Elysium, and I seem to remember this. I may be wrong, but I seem to remember you describing Chappie at the time as a family comedy. Now. <laughs> it seems like a very twisted family comedy, if, a very Neil Blomkamp yeah. family comedy. Is that is that something that you were thinking about? As, I, as I it don't. Came about? I, okay, let me. My, so my uh, recollection of that, which is going to be not as good as yours, because like I've established, my, my memory doesn't really work. Okay. Terry can attest to this. Um, it's convenient, actually. Yeah, more of a convenient memory. Um, I remember talking about another project, which is a comedy, that okay. I wanted to make around the time that I was marketing Elysium, and okay. also talking about Chappie. And right. I felt like the wires got like crossed a little bit. They may have been conflated. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't... A lot of people have said, you said Chappie was a comedy. And I'm like, no, no, no. I said another film was a comedy. No, no, you did. Actually, I was at that press conference standing in the back and you actually did say yeah. Chappie was a comedy. Well, then you're both right. It's on yeah. so time. It's, it's the okay. family part that I don't recall. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and... <laughs> it's a comedy with a family in it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. funny. It's a funny movie, though. Yeah. All your movies are funny. Mm-hmm. So well, Elysium isn't really like rolling in the aisles like style. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Time, yeah. When he hides under time, the pigs, it's funny. Yeah, but Kruger is a is a Kruger's is a hilarious awesome. character. Yeah, I love. He's, I love the, he's the, the humor when he sings. I love. No, Kruger, I, Kruger is awesome. And I talked to you on the phone not too long ago. You mentioned there was a Kruger spinoff idea. Yeah. in the back of your head. Yeah, there is. Yeah, can you talk about that? Well, it's it's like you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how film um, has to conform to a lot of. There's a lot of like three-act structure kind of specificity about how movies have to get made. And sometimes I just don't want that. Sometimes I want the Grand Theft Auto like experience of just like anarchic horseshit, you know, and Kruger can get up to that. So I actually did ask Modi, who who paid for um, for Elysium, I was like, what if you did like a lower budget version of this where Kruger is the lead character and there's like absolutely no arc don't expect the character to arc. He just does a bunch of shit that's awesome. And he was like, yeah, that does sound like that could be cool. In case people haven't guessed, uh, you are married, uh, husband and wife. Um, we were discussing this earlier on. You're the Brangelina of, of, of the scriptwriting world. Uh, Jesus. Do, you have a, do you have a name, a Brangelina-style name? Is it, is it Tat Camp or Blomchill? Or, Which know, ones do you guys prefer? Blomchill. Yeah. Blomchill. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Have you thought about that? Clearly you haven't. From no. Your reaction. I do, yeah, Blomchill is probably Blomchill the way to works. go there. Blomchill. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, see, I liked Tad Camp, but... <laughs> that chill. sounds a little more uptight. I like the blonde chill. It's relaxed. Yeah. It sounds like a, a place you go to get like, the He likes the to summer. take the lead, so yeah. he wouldn't want my name first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, may, we may have struck a nerve. Yeah. Yeah. He's a director. And you have a, you have a, you have a pet parrot named Ripley. Is that, yeah, is that still up-to-date information? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, um, we when we got... like. If it wasn't for me, Terry and Cassidy would live in a petting zoo. So I provide some sort of rational form of like where the animals must stop. There's no monkey or pig. Yeah, like, well, there will be a pig soon, but I've literally hit the brakes. There literally is a pig in the world. You're going to be joking. So what happened was she just developed this obsession with African gray parrots. And then she liked them so much that I actually talked her into getting one. For some reason, that was the one animal that she like hit the brakes on. But I was like, no, you should just get it because you love them. And then when we got it, it was female, and it was eight years old, and it, we named it Ripley. And then we found out later that it was male. So then we were like, do we call it Ridley to like keep the lineage? And we were like, nah, fuck it. It'll just be Ripley. We'll keep it Ripley. So it's a male Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to confuse the parrot. No. Yeah. <laughs> Too much no. like, what am yeah. I? I have an unrelated, but but it's a question about Chappie, but also kind of about Alien. There's a line uh, in the film that's also in the trailer where Sigourney Weaver says, burn him to ash. Yeah. yeah. Is that a deliberate Alien nod? Because all the message boards, people are going, it's, yeah, it's, deliberate. It's not, actually. Okay. But but when she said it on set, I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that, that often happens, though, when it like the words actually physically get said, you know, yeah. like where it's like maybe it was subconsciously in there. But no, it wasn't on purpose. She did another one as well, which um, which I edited out of the movie, but it was in it was in the movie until like within a few weeks of the final cut. Mm. And it's when Dev goes into the, the meeting with her and tries to pitch her on the idea of using one of the damaged chassis to upload the, the information. And in the movie, in the way it plays now, he he preemptively understands what her response will be and leaves before she can get there. Where in the older cut, she actually gets aggressive with him to stop him asking. Mm -hmm. And she says, she's like, no. And she's like, the way she said no, every time she said it on set was, because I've seen aliens in like the, probably like the four digit territory. <laughs> so, so when she said no, it was exactly like um, when they try to get her to go back to LV426. And she's like, I said no, and I mean no, you know. I was, it was incredible. It was like a soundbite from, from aliens. It was really weird. And you went into a reverie for an hour. You just standing yeah. there kind of replaying the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nuts. There is kind of a, a xenomorph-shaped elephant in the room, which we've talked a little bit, a little bit, but obviously you're making an alien movie next, mm -hmm. Neil. Um, I'm really fascinated by how that came about. Because um, mm -hmm. obviously you released concept art mm -hmm. onto the internet. Uh, presumably you've been having conversations with Fox about that before that. It wasn't just no. a kind of... No, 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 it wasn't actually. Like... I uh, 2014 was a really weird year for me because, um, like, I, I usually know kind of quite decisively what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the process of post on Chappie, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I had a, I had a bunch of different ideas for different films. Um, but my, my favorite on, like, a gut instinct, like, a, like a, an artistic level, was Alien by a long way. But I had this like sort of inhibiting, you know, mental roadblock about um, just wanting to, you know, kind of work on my own stuff and, and not be held accountable really by whether it's the studio or by fans or whoever. I just want to be left alone to do my stuff. That's kind yeah. of a big deal to me. But what happened was, I mean, if you even go back three or four years, I've wanted to make a film in that genre, in that in that franchise, you know, for ages. And I had come up with an idea, and then. When I met Sigourney on set, I, I assumed that she would never want to play Ripley again, rightly or wrongly. I just, for some reason, I had that in my head. 
And and I also didn't know where she, you could go with her, um, given Alien 3 and 4. Mm. And so when I started speaking to her, um, and she was just... I just wanted to know about the process of making the first two films, because the first two are the ones that I care about, and like, yeah. w- you know, what she thought and everything else. Yeah, I started to realize that there actually was a whole, at least a film, if not more, that still contained Ripley, which I was really surprised by. And and then so then when I went back to Vancouver and I had my weird year of 2014 of not being totally clear on what I wanted to make, I knew that my artistic compass kept driving me to Alien. And, and I spent like whenever I wasn't needed on Chappie, I spent a lot of hours working on Alien, you know, mm. and to the point that I hired my own concept artists and like fleshed the entire movie out basically. And then I still didn't know if I wanted to do it. And, and then I just like one night I sort of came to the conclusion that I was like, I mean, this is like an ongoing thing with us, like all the time, where, you know, I, I she's always like, no, you'll go back and do a film. And I'm always like, nah, I don't think this is the last film I'm going to do. <laughs> like, I genuinely believe it's the last so, film. Sometimes I'm I patronize. Do. I'm like, okay, baby, that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> we always need more hands in the restaurants. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I was so convinced that I just wasn't, I, I didn't even think I was going to make a normal, like any film, let alone a large studio film. Yeah. But I was like, I, it came from a place of like love and it came from a place of me being a fan. And I, and I was like, if I'm a fan, then other fans should see the stuff. Just at least here's one person's take on it, you know? Mm. And I, put out, I just put, put out a bunch of art. But I still hadn't decided what I was going to do next. And then, so you see, Fox didn't know. And then after, like, I, I saw Sigourney again and her enthusiasm in it and me still not knowing what I was doing. It becomes kind of clear. The thing actually that made it really clear, tell them what happened. This, this was actually the binding thing for me because we have xenomorphs all over the house. But, but the, the, well, he was humming and hawing, going back and forth. And, and finally, I said, look, look at what you make me drink my orange juice out of every morning. And I pulled out of the cupboard. We have these set of glasses that have like these brutal scenes from the movies. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, you make your daughter drink out of these cups. This is a sign. <laughs> yeah. And then that, that, no bullshit, like that actually is what made me realize that it's like my whole, like there's a massive portion of my brain that's like taken up by the world of the xenomorph. And I was mm. like, mm, that's a valid point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll let you go in a second. Do I, just one last question, Neil, about, uh, about alien regeneration. That's the name of it, isn't it? Regen- <laughs> alien <laughs> rebirth, alien. He said he was going to try and pitch you yeah. some titles. Yeah. Pitch you some titles. <laughs> okay. he, he's already, you know, bought, the, bought the website. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm super curious. Yeah. What he, would they be? You've got an absolute poker face. It's amazing. Uh, okay. <laughs> Nick, throw something at him quickly. Uh, alien. A- oh, yeah. I don't know. What would it be? What, See, yeah. this is actually a really okay. So, I, 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 I sent what I wanted as the title to Ridley, but it's kind of quite bold. And he was like, I really like that. So I'm going to yeah. test it. I don't, I don't think it's going to work though. But <laughs> So I have my own idea, but it also sort of gives away too much if I say the title. Okay. But in the event that that doesn't work, I'm kind of like dead in the water. So I actually am super <laughs> curious, you know. <laughs> Honestly, the only the only title we really talked about was Alien 3. No, really, this is Alien 3. Not, not the other one. <laughs> right. This is the one. You should go to see this one. Like, it's a it's long like, title. No, really, is in brackets. <laughs> yeah. He's bought the URL already for yeah. that one. So. So guys, you really—it's embarrassing if you don't make it that title. Um, Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Alien, whatever you end up calling it. Cool, man. Thank you so much. It's been thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. They are very, very nice people. And if I'm ever in Vancouver, I'm going to stop by Terry Tatchell's Tea Room 
You just wanted to say that for the alliteration, didn't you? I did. I did. I thought I'd try and rescue you because it's been an absolute grammar car crash. I thought <laughs> I'd stick in a bit of alliteration just to you know get the folks at home interested. Uh, Shall we have some movie news? Ooh, let's. Um, so this is a tricky one because you know it's a it's a it's an audio medium, mm. but nevertheless, the third and I'm guessing final trailer. I hope final. I, f- I think final. Yeah. Although we'll get into this, there are a number of things that they haven't revealed yet. Um, for Avengers: Age of Ultron, after a a, a spot of theater where uh, people had to retweet the hashtag Avengers: Age of Ultron in order to unlock the trailer, because you know Disney and Marvel were not going to show it to people until it was unlocked. There was no way that was planned, as uh, regardless. So anyway, trailer came out. Uh, I'm sure by now everyone listening to this has has seen it, but. Um, what do we think? Hell's Bells. So excited. It is exciting, isn't it? I'm trying not to watch it too much because I actually, this is one of those films I don't want to have dissected to death before I go into it. Um, that said, you know, offered a few more intriguing glimpses of, of the kind of stuff we can expect. It offered a few looks at something that has for some unexplained reason become catnip to Tumblr, which is the idea that Hawkeye owns a farm. (laughs) Genuinely, this has become like the biggest thing in Avengers news. What was he he doing during the downfall of S.H.I.E.L.D.? He was rearing cattle. Easy now. And there's a few few scenes that appear to be in a farmhouse. And apparently people are going nuts because they think this is Hawkeye's farm. I'm not even kidding. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you saying... The most exciting thing. No, hang on. Are you saying that in Avengers 2, Hawkeye buys the farm? (laughs) I'm not saying... I mean, he may have bought it already for all we know, um, but certainly there would appear to be a farm situation going on. (laughs) This is amazing. I know. That's... That's the thing that people are dwelling That's on? That's the thing that people are dwelling on. Hawkeye's property portfolio? <laughs> That's what people are dwelling on? Okay, that's interesting. Well, I suppose mm. he's got to do something. Uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, Hawkeye, when Frey Scottish said, Hawkeye, uh, the, new, the new Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, by his own omission, didn't get a lot to do in the first movie. Mm. And Downey keeps saying that he's very, very much front and centre in this one. He gets a lot more to do. Um, but we haven't really got a glimpse of that. But if he is buying a farm and he's off... <laughs> showing people around properties and stuff and his day job as an estate agent because he's not a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent anymore, is he? Nobody he's is, He's an estate really. agent. Um, well, I'm not sure that follows, but interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, listen, I, I, could, I, I thought I couldn't be more hyped about this film and it turns out with I, I could and yeah. now I am, so... Hey. The thing I'm glad about this trailer is that it actually shows this new stuff. The last trailer, the sort of second one, was just another version of the, the first one, which everyone loved, but uh, this one actually has... A lot of new information, um, a lot of tantalizing glimpses of things that may come to pass. We see, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, Bruce Banner and Natasha Romanoff potentially getting hot and heavy, which leads, like, once again, to all sorts of weird logistical questions. Um, only for you, Chris. No. Well, for you and some other people. No, not only for me. No. <laughs> anyway, yeah. moving anyway, on. <laughs> yeah. So I'm genuinely, you know, how does that work? Um, but but also there's some interesting things. We get to see some real spectacle. We see there's a great shot of Captain America nearly sliding off a bridge, which is collapsing. Down below, you see a city, which it's mm. very bizarre. I can't really tell what's going on there. No. But it looks it looks fantastic. Hulk, there's more Hulk versus Hulkbuster. There's and there's a great shot of them all <clears throat> sort of midair leaping through a forest, and it's yes. like it's like a comic book cover brought to life. And I have mm. to say, that's one of the things that made me completely fall for the first Avengers. I finally felt like this is the kind of crazy 
big scale impossible stuff that I see in comics and I'm finally seeing it on the big screen um, and and that shot gets that same feeling of this is a comic brought to life um, but in a really you know good and effective way I wonder if that's the opening shot not the opening shot of the film but I think of that's the first time the you've seen the scene sort of thing the yeah. first scene in the movie because it seems very very slow motion these are you know this is it this is the, the Avengers right here um, some really interesting little character beats we still don't have really much of an idea of who Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are they're not really mentioned by names uh, in the trailer there's a lot more of Ultron in this one a lot more of James Spader threatening mm. people and talking about what he's going to do to people. It's nasty. Awesome. Um, I mean, bad, but... Yes, yeah. but bad. And uh, I love the shot near the end where uh, Thor yells, is that the best you can do? <laughs> and then Ultron unleashes what seems like hundreds of, of sub-Ultrons. And, uh, and and Steve Rogers goes, yeah, do I ask? <laughs> Which means that you know this still has humour, despite yes. the fact that, you know, High they, stakes. they might all be about to die horribly. Yeah. The um, there's also obviously that very interesting final shot. Are we going to discuss that? Yeah, let's discuss that. So it's a, a sort of a metallic-y looking person with a red sort of skin and glowing sort of eyes. <laughs> it's a little bit chappy, but it's more vision. Chapsticky. Chaps. That, no, no. No. Okay. Um, which is which is exciting. We still haven't had a full on good look at him. There have been yes. he's been in the background of a couple of things, uh, a couple of uh, posters, pieces and stuff. of artwork yeah. and concept art. But uh, but yeah, hey, the vision man, Paul Bettany as Vision, the Vision, the artist formerly known as Jarvis. Uh, yeah, very very interested. That for me. It's really, really cool we finally get to see part of his face and obviously they're holding him back. Yep. But uh, that also felt like that was one just for the fans because I'm just thinking if you're a, a, you know, just a casual observer of the MCU or just don't know anything about it at all and you watch that trailer, you go, what was that at the end? Who, who, what? Um, so I think that was like the uh, the appearance of Thanos at the end of the first Avengers. Mm. That was, that was for us. I am starting to think that, that Vision may be uh, a kind of a bad guy that we're not expecting. Mm-hmm. I would like to put what? that out there as my my minor bet. He could be affiliated with this AI construction or putting an AI into a body, uh, and he could be the first thing that went bad. That's my bet. I think he's a, he's a form of a bad guy of a fashion, possibly at some point. My feeling is that he will start as a bad guy. Yes, and he will end as a not bad guy. That is your vision. That is my vision. <laughs> We shall see if it matches Josh Whedon's I've got that, some, that guy. I've got some news that isn't comic book related. What? Get out. And it's not the biggest news ever, but essentially there was that movie that we've been excited about by Steven M. Spielberg, which was known for a long time as Untitled Cold War Thriller, based on a Cold War story, um, as you may have guessed from Untitled Cold War Thriller, with some guy, some guy, called Tom Hanks, playing a... Lawyer who uh, called James Donovan, uh, who is pushed uh, into the Cold War you know, during the 1960s when he had to negotiate for the release of a downed U-2, insert jokes here about Bono, spy plane uh, pilot by the name of Gary Powers after the uh, airman was shot down over Russia. Mm-hmm. That's now being called, this is the news, Bridge of Spies, which is funny because of Bridge of Size, oh, yeah. which is a bridge in Venice. But then there's oh. another bridge, <clears throat> a lot like it in Oxford, yeah, there is, yeah. So, you know, really, this means nothing. Bridge of Spies, <laughs> it is the name of the film. It'll be coming out in October the 9th. And there are a lot of movies, a lot of movies to look forward to this year. But Hanks, Spielberg, Cold War, a script rewritten by the Coen brothers. I'm interested. 
<laughs> Let's watch it, please. Sign me up for that one as well. This is partly Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg cinematic universe. It is indeed. It yeah. all uh, <laughs> connects together. There was also other exciting news uh, this week. Jeff Goldblum has been confirmed for the Independence Day sequel. Uh, may have been one of you said it on Twitter, I'm not quite sure, but do we need any other cast? We don't need any other just, cast. Just Jeff Goldblum reacting to the return of the aliens. Just him, on his own. One man show, two hours, some explosions in the background, job done. They should just set it in the in the old Vic. It's just Jeff Goldblum, like you say, <laughs> on a chair, yeah. looking at the news reports, checking Twitter, going, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> on his Mac, obviously. Obviously. Diablo Cody is writing... Um, the the next draft of mm-hmm. the Barbie movie. Well, obviously, the, the Barbie Barbie movie movie the Barbie movie. The Barbie I don't movie. understand the thinking. Um, apparently, it will see Barbie, who is uh, she comes in. She's like Mary Poppins, and she apparently, and I'm quoting here, uses her personal and professional skills to improve. Uh, end quote. The lives of some sad sack losers. What? Um, and also, who do you get to play a woman who's seven and a half feet tall, five feet of which is leg? Um, it, I mean, it sounds uh, improbable and difficult. Um, but, you know, if I guess if anyone's going to make Barbie bearable, it might be Diablo Cody, so good did luck. somebody say in the office, did somebody say, we need some barbed wit, and they got Diablo Cody in? No, I think mm. they said, this film's going to be diabolical. Ah. And I need some codeine. <laughs> <laughs> well, to get through this film. In, and then... the, in the how did this get made, what are they thinking realm, there's also uh, the director of Oblivion and Tron Legacy, whose name is... Joseph Kaczynski. That's the chestnut. That's the one. He's being eyed up for a Gran Turismo movie. Yes. And again, just Barbie, that has like a 2% possibility of maybe working. Gran Turismo is like, you saw Need for Speed and that just didn't work. Like, what, what will Gran Turismo be about? I mean, but Need for Speed actually had possibly cops and robbers. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some kind of premise. Gran Turismo is just driving. Yeah. It's hitting your lines, it's taking corners well, it's braking at the right point, it's accelerating the right point. Well, it's also building your car, Ali. You know, you have to oh, get I can't your wait engine for that right. montage sequence. You know, and all the camshafts. And the, you know, I, I always lost it towards the end of Gran Turismo. I always get to a certain point and then you actually literally have to start balancing your engine. And I didn't understand any of that stuff. Like oversteering and understeering and camshafts and torque and all that nonsense, and I would just start smashing into the walls. So I hope maybe that's what he's going to do. <laughs> maybe we, you know, it should be Jeff Goldblum playing Gran Turismo for an hour and a half, Ooh, and mm, suddenly uh, we're back on board. Mm, Amazing, ba- Barbie being played with by Jeff Goldblum. I, you, for might an hour and a half. That. you might want to rephrase that. You might want to rephrase that. My grandma, what? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, finally, one more news story that I was really interested in. Ridley uh-huh. Scott uh-huh. is planning a Flashman movie. I beg your pardon? Uh, Flashman is a very, very interesting character. He's originally the bully in Tom Brown's school days, or one of the bullies mm-hmm. in, the, in the, the old novel Tom Brown's school days. Um, and basically he was spun off in his own right by George MacDonald Fraser, and um, and is basically has this complete crazy world and stories about him. Um, he, he rubs shoulders with lots of fictional people. He inevitably behaves incredibly badly, like... Oh. The whole like anti-hero to the max. So He's like, an awful, awful, awful human being. So Radcliffe spin-off. Essentially not far off, yeah, but okay. set in the 19th century. He's a bounder. He is a total bounder. He is a complete cad. Like a Mordecai. Um, like a like a like an earlier Mordecai, is that what you're saying? Except 
good, potentially. Um, but, he, you know, he was in the Crimean War. He's very cowardly, but tends to come out of things looking like a hero, despite his best efforts. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of intriguing. This could be quite good. I can't, there I said it. I can't help but hope that they do actually pronounce it. I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but in my head, whenever I knew of, of this character, I said it as Flashman. But in my head, I want, the, want them to call him Flashman. As yeah. if that's some kind of superhero. <laughs> Absolutely. And what would his power be? Don't answer that. Running away. Just running away? Just running away. Having just done something? Running when he, away and tripping up the guy behind him. When he opens his coat, that's very there difficult. are really, really bright lights. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. You can't, you can't run away and trip up the person behind you. He could. It's logistically impossible. He had very, like very Bruce long shoelaces. <laughs> okay. That's intriguing. Paging Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> Paging Tom Hiddleston. Um, That's what our entire readership said, certainly. Yeah. Really? Well, you know, to be fair, they said that for most things. Um, we said for most things, Paging Tom Hiddleston, he hasn't arrived. Doesn't work. He doesn't have a pager. Uh, he doesn't have a pager. That's our first mistake. Damn it. Also in Independence Day 2 news, we should also mention that Liam Hemsworth mm. has been confirmed as joining the cast, which is which is nice. Roland Emmerich confirmed that in a tweet. He had a hashtag Jeff Goldblum because Goldblum doesn't have a, a Twitter account, which is a massive shame. Uh, and Jesse Usher, Jesse Usher, has joined the cast as Will Smith's son. So the son of Stephen Hillier, who many are now assuming will be the hero of this movie, uh, mm. because Will Smith has passed and coming back to Independence Day too. And a decision, uh, honestly, I thought that he might reconsider, given the way that its you know focus was clearly going from a box office point of view which it did subsequently hasn't done that well sadly um, but of course he's now going to be doing Suicide Squad isn't he for David Ayer and Warner Brothers in DC so perhaps he can't rejig his schedule either if he wanted to possible uh, finally also we should mention our spirit animal Dan Stevens mm-hmm. um, is apparently going to be beastly he's in talks to play opposite Emma Watson in the new live action version of Beauty and the Beast and who's playing Gaston Luke Evans. Bloody Luke Evans, isn't it? <laughs> oh. Oh, hello, everybody. No one fights like Luke. Oh, oh, oh. Be my guest. He does that song, doesn't he? Uh, no. No, okay. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Well, he does now. <laughs> uh, he he actually has one of the best songs in it, Gaston. He's really is this going to be a musical version or is this like the... I don't know, probably not. No. Um, Cinderella isn't. Uh, yeah, none I of them are, you. are there? Yeah, Jungle the Book's not. Ones. No, okay, so probably not a musical, which is kind of a shame because those Alan Menken songs are bloody awesome. Uh, but the script recently has seen work from Stephen Jabosky, who's the guy behind The Perks of Being a Wallflower, if I'm not mistaken, which of course also starred Emma Watson and which in which she was very good. So this is kind of shaping up rather, rather interesting. Oh, that play great big juicy film. Mm. <laughs> With Bill Condon directing. Yes. Who, oh, yes. And speaking of that, uh, Mr. Holmes had a teaser coming out. That is the 93-year-old uh, Sherlock Holmes movie. It's not that old a movie. He plays a 93-year-old Sherlock Holmes. That is, Ian McKellen does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a little teaser for it. It's coming out in June and not in December, which uh, which was its original period. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's very much a teaser seeing actually a slightly younger version of him in the top hat and tails walking around London. But yes... <clears throat> Bill Condon's done a variety of stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he from really Twilight has. to yeah. Gods and Monsters to Mr. Holmes to this, he's, he's running the gamut, isn't he? racking along at a fair old pace, isn't yeah. he? He absolutely is. What was I going to say? Yes, Gaston. Uh, interesting. It calls to mind a Hugh Jackman story 
when she's told, <laughs> you know the story? Yes, I know the story. <laughs> uh, Hugh Jackman played Gaston on stage, I think in Broadway. don't think it was over here. I think it was in Broadway. Because I don't think Beauty and the Beast ever it came toured. It might have been in Sydney, actually. All right, it might have been a tour thing. Anyway, he played Gaston. And he tells a story about one day he went on stage and he was desperate for a pee. And he was holding it in all the way through the, the show. And then he comes to his song, which is, of course, Helen, Gaston. And then, I didn't just Google that, Gaston. And, uh, and so he needs to go to the toilet. And so the way he tells the story is that there's a big note near the end, high C, all that sort of stuff. And so he <laughs> lets go with the note and lets go down below and just, and just sits there luxuriating in the warmth <laughs> of the Antipodean waters. <laughs> really soaking you know. into his woolen you know <laughs> tight things not a good Absol- look absolutely yeah. so there's a, there's a tale I wonder if Luke Evans will be doing that let's uh, hope at not any point. let's hope not um, I have two more bits of news um, it's one, a big week for news it's a big it? week for news stop doing things Hollywood this is I'm really intrigued by this one Genuinely intrigued and genuinely excited by this. The news that uh, William Goldman is adapting Misery for the Broadway stage. William oh, Goldman, of course, wrote yes. Misery. Isn't he making it a musical? Uh, misery. Misery! <laughs> I'm going to cut your ankle off. Ankle, Just your ankle. Just your, I'm very precise. With an axe. Um... Mm. We should be clear, he wrote the screenplay, obviously. He wrote the screenplay. Stephen King yes, novel. Stephen King novel. Uh, he wrote the screenplay uh, for Misery, but he's adapting it all into a Broadway play and playing the role of Paul Sheldon, the author who gets kidnapped by Annie Wilkes, his number one fan. He gets into a car crash, she kidnaps him and then basically holds him prisoner and insists that he brings Misery Chastain back from the dead. Um, it's Bruce Willis. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jim Parsons. No. Okay. <laughs> Jim Parsons, interestingly, will be playing God on stage this summer. So if you're lucky enough to be in New York, I'd look out for that one. That's interesting because Sheldon does not believe in God. And yet here we are. It's almost like he's an actor playing different characters. I would love to see Bruce Willis on this part. I would love to see it. Yeah, me yeah. too. I would genuinely, I, I would travel. Um, I'm not going to because I don't have any money, but uh, I would travel. I would try and get tickets for this because here's the thing about Bruce Willis. He is absolutely fantastic he's an icon he's a legend he's a great actor he's got tons of great films under his belt but my god he needs a career intervention um, because he you look at his filmography I'm just going to call up his filmography here on the uh, on the old are we going to include uh, direct DVD here well basically that's all he's been doing for the last couple of years video video on no demand (laughs) absolutely because I'm seeing stuff constantly cropping up on VOD or going straight to Sky or whatever and you're going I had literally no idea. So mm. Bruce Willis' Bruce Willis' last few films. Okay. I'm gonna look over your shoulder. I want to okay. see these as they come. Alright. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go from two thousand and twelve. Okay. You can see when the sort of decline crept in. Alright, so actually no, I'm gonna go for two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven he started in a film called Setup. Anyone? Nope. Anyone? Okay. Then he moves on to Catch Forty Four. Nope. No. Okay. Then he starred in uh, Stephen Freer's Lay the Favourite. Good film, got a cinematic release, Rebecca Hall, Captain Tita Jones, all that. The Cold Light of Day, again, got a kind got of a cinematic... Release, Henry yeah. Cavill, Sigourney Weaver. Moonrise Kingdom, good performance, good director, non-Bruce Willis-y. Uh, the Expendables 2. Then he did a film called Fire with Fire. No. No? Nope. Josh Duhamel, uh, Rosario Dawson, but no. Then he did Looper, great, fantastic in that. Good Day to Die Hard, less said the better. G.I. Joe Retaliation, Ditto. Red 2, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Uh, and then a film called The Prince 
with uh, Jason Patrick and John Cusack, another man who needs a career intervention. The Prince had my uh, had three entries in my worst posters of 2014. Oh my word! And then his uh, last film was a film called Feist with uh, Thomas Jane. If we're talking about career interventions, and his upcoming projects uh, include the likes of Magic City, Wake, and a film called Extraction, which sounds which sounds amazing um, to me. He does need someone to just go, what are you doing, Bruce? What you need to do is you need to do a Broadway play. Um, I'm really intrigued by this because he does need, he needs something, I think, to reinvigorate him and get the fires burning again. Who should play Annie Wilkes? Well, it is an actress called Elizabeth Marvel. Oh, I don't which, know her. Which may, yeah, nor do I. But this makes it, I think, unofficially part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it would be, it's interesting to me that they've gone big name, big name, big name. But, you know, and then Kathy Bates was unknown when she played Annie Wilkes the first time. Relatively unknown. Oh, Elizabeth Marvel is in, I think I'm right in saying, yeah, she's in House of Cards. She plays a very big role this season. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't know her name before. Oh, is she the Secretary of State? Uh, she is the Solicitor General. Wow, she's Say great. No more. She's she great. great. Yeah. yeah. You're marvelling at Elizabeth Marvel. Good, good, good choice. I don't really um, know much more about that story yet in terms of when it's going to be um, running on Broadway and for how long for, but I think this is great casting and I really do hope that it just gets the fires burning again under Mr. Willis's backside. Um, and then, of course, the last thing is, and, you know, I, it's a tricky thing, this. I don't want to get maudlin or sad about it. I don't think we should be because the man was uh, a legend and we should be celebrating his life. Um, obviously, Leonard Nimoy died last week uh, at the age of 83. And um, just, I think before, after the podcast had gone out last week, so it was, it was too late, we couldn't do anything on last week's podcast. But Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock himself, passed away. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was in, interesting to me, not just watching the impact it had on us as well, the Empire office mm. as geeks and there are certain Trekkies and whatnot in the office but uh, just everyone this this had a huge impact yeah when Barack Obama makes a statement about your death then it means that you touched people in in a way that uh, uh, you know I mean also you have. know Obama is is a huge fan has, has been known to throw the Vulcan salute to people because mm-hmm. um, he is let's face it a secret nerd um <laughs> And and had met uh, Nimoy as well, which is which is pretty good. But yeah, no, he was he was pretty much universally beloved. He was one of those figures that sort of transcended gen- uh, genre. I mean, even if you didn't particularly know Star Trek, you knew Spock, um, and you probably liked Spock even if you didn't know Star Trek because he's just such an iconic character who sort of you know even people who'd maybe only seen one episode they he, he lingers in the memory you remember that guy mm. um and the way i think that that central relationship between mccoy kirk and spock developed made us all feel like we were all part of it a little bit if you look at the films the reason that the the trek films that work work as well as they do is because they focus on that relationship between those characters um, and that goes for 2009 Star Trek as well as you know 2, 3 and 4 mm-hmm. uh, Wrath of Khan the reason it still destroys me every single time I see it is that friendship mm-hmm. and it's it's an absolute thing of glory and I think it you know it's down to obviously his efforts I would like to say that what I've what I've liked about this is that there's no, no bad word to say about him but he totally lived a 5 star A grade great life mm-hmm. yeah he died old after doing loads of great stuff. He earned money to support himself and give to other people. He was generous. He was kind. 
everyone liked him and what a great life. Yeah. He won. He did it. Yeah. He was doing great stuff, really fun stuff up until the end, whether it was, you know, a cameo in the Big Bang Theory. We talked about, you know, Sheldon Cooper a second ago. Um, you know, he did a voice cameo. Uh, have you seen that episode where he appears as a, yes. a, his own action figure? Uh, which is quite fun, talking to Sheldon. <clears throat> and that was cool. And then obviously the two cameos in the J.J. Abrams yes. Star Trek movies and tons of stuff. And he did so many, you know, so many things outside Star Trek. Obviously he was a director. director. Um, Three Men and the Baby and a couple of Star Trek films and The Good Mother and films like that. Um, he was great in Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah. and yes, Fringe as well. Columbo. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> um, he made Columbo mad. Wow. Which never happens. That's pretty impressive. Never happens. Columbo slams the desk and says, I know you did it and I'm going to get you, essentially. And, you know, Nimoy's all like, mm, no, you're not. <laughs> but then he makes a crucial mistake. Um, Spoiler. <laughs> Columbo gets him at the end. Spoiler um, if you've never watched a Columbo episode. <laughs> He's a particularly nefarious doctor and that one's called A Stitch in Crime. Oh, I see what they did there. Mm. <laughs> uh, he was he was brilliant. He was a legend. Um, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Ali. A life well lived. Leonard Nimoy, who died last week. Okay, time now for our second guest. Uh, Julianne Moore had missed out on an Oscar on a four four previous occasions before this year's ceremony but she was not to be denied for her astonishing turn in Still Alice as a woman suffering from early onset Alzheimer's. She came to London recently and spoke to Ali and Phil. Enjoy. Julianne Moore, thank you so much for joining us on the Empire Podcast. Thanks for um, having me. To talk to us about Still Alice. Yeah. Now I have a slightly curveball question to kick off with. Okay. Uh, something that's I've always wondered about watching movies. Yeah. Um, you play Alice Howland who's a mm-hmm. linguistics professor. She's one of those super high achieving people who's professionally and personally sorted at the beginning of the movie when we meet her right. she's also very outdoorsy and she runs a lot yeah, now yeah. you do a lot of running in this movie yeah I just wondered do you have to warm up and do stretch do I do my own running you know what that's actually an interesting question because actors will always tell you that we tend to not warm up you just go into it and you're always like ow I actually did a movie where we all had to play volleyball and a lot of the women who were there played volleyball like in college and they were like I don't know why I didn't warm up I'm killing myself I'm ruining my knees so we all tend to not do it you know right. but yeah but you pick up a strain or a nickel yeah and then you can't run I know and then you have to get your then you gotta get your stu- you gotta get your double in that's yeah. right this is a film I gather that took three and a half weeks to shoot. Yeah, is that it's right? Pretty quick, yeah. It's all that we had money for. Is that a record <laughs> for you? Three and a half weeks. It's about this. I think Kids Are All Right was was close to that as well. I think that was also. I think it was twenty three days. I think Kids Are All Right was also twenty three days. That's that's pretty standard for four million dollar movies. That's about that's that's the extent of the days that you can get out of that amount of money, really. And I was told that this, because this is a film about your character getting early onset Alzheimer's, Mm. this wasn't shot chronologically. No, no. So you were leaping around in presumably a very carefully mapped timeline of of degeneration. In this case, we tried to put the bulk of the work up front in the biggest location we had, which was the house. Mm-hmm. You know, so we started there. But that being said, that meant that the final scene of the movie was our ninth day. Wow. So so we had to do kind of the initial stuff early on and then get to the very, very end on the and I remember Chris and I looked at each other on the ninth day and we we're like, oh my gosh, we hadn't done any of the beach things or anything like that. So it was it was tricky, you know, trickier than most because I was dealing with something, you know, with a real decline mm-hmm. and, and I needed to kind of map that out. 
But that's why I did. That's one of the reasons I did the amount of research that I did because I always wanted to know exactly where I was and what I would be doing at each point. On that note, I'm sure when you uh, were approached with this, you must have read the script and thought, I really want to be a part of this. Yeah. But yeah. was the immediate reaction yes, and then I'm going to have to do four months of research? The immediate reaction was yes, you know, mm. and 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 actually the first thing I said to the guys is they're never going to get the money. Because <laughs> I said to them, I was like, when do you want to shoot this? And they were like, well, about, you know, a year from now, this, the following September or whatever. And I said, uh-huh, yeah, call me when you have it because <laughs> you're never going to get the money for this. And I really did think it would be a couple of years. And they did surprise me. And then once it happened... They were like, okay, we're ready to go. And I was like, oh, gosh, I've got to do, you know, if we're going to do this, I really do need to do the work because I don't know anything about this. So so it was a matter of about four months of, of research before I felt comfortable. And when you were on board and things were happening, at what point did you realize you're going to have such an amazing supporting cast? Oh, we were so lucky. Well, it just came together in the oddest way because we, we were talking about, you know, first we talked about the guy who's going to play husband and they said what are your ideas I said well I said I really I thought of Alec Baldwin I said but he's never going to do this and Alec's a friend of mine and we we just from 30 Rock and every time I offered him something you know I'd say hey I got the script you want to do this he'd be like no no it was always a comedy he's like no 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 and um, then I was like well I I have this do you have a drama I said I have this little movie but the part's too small I don't think you want to do it and he said send it anyway and then he said yes and I was convinced he would drop out I couldn't believe it and he was in and then the guys called me and said that because we just had the most amazing meeting with Kristen Stewart. I'm like, she's never going to do this. She's hmm. too busy. And then she said yes. And you know, then we had Kate and Hunter and Steve Conkin and and amazing people. So it was it was really surprising that it came together. There's one really beautiful moment in the movie mm-hmm. that stood out for me when I was watching it when with Alec when yeah. when, when they, she loves to go for ice cream. Yeah, um, yeah. What flavor was the ice cream again? It was Coke. I have I had regular or something with coconut and blueberries. Is that your own yeah. personal taste? Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, really? <laughs> they were like, "What are you gonna? You're gonna have to eat this in the scene. What do you want to order?" I said, "This is what I eat." Yeah, because you have to just eat. Yeah, eat, you know, take and take. Exactly. Um, but you, you, you re- I don't want to give too much away about mm-hmm. the context. But you, you, you rest your head on his shoulder, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. One of the things that I saw was that people, um, as they became more declined were very attached to the people that they loved and that cared for them and I kind of wanted to I wanted you to see that in that scene that that she's ordering the ice cream and they're in that place and she starts to feel uncomfortable because she's with people she doesn't know and she doesn't want to look at the guy that she's ordering from because she doesn't know him so she does all her ordering to her husband like looks in his eyes and then kind of sidles up and like you know and you know, like a little kid would, you know. So, so she feels safe with him, safe and loved, and and um, I kind of wanted to demonstrate that there. He's kind of updated from the book, the original book, which mm-hmm. was about a decade set, about a decade ago, and this yeah. just has your iPhones and your apps and your Skype and yeah. all that sort of thing. How good are you personally with with all the modern accoutrement? Would you be able to find the folders on your desktop and find all the notes and the stuff? I'm not too bad. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I'm all right. I mean, I'm, it's it's. I still have to ask my children like how to do. I'll be like, wait a minute, what what is that function? How'd you do that? You know. But I'm a lot better than I was <laughs> years ago. Is it true you're a Facebook <laughs> lurker? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I haven't lurked in a while. But what's Facebook for if not to lurk, right? Yeah. Twitter? I tweet. 
I'm, I, but I don't do Instagram. I, I, uh, I follow my kids on Instagram and a couple of my girlfriends and stuff. But I do, I do like Twitter and I tweet occasionally and I like it as a news source too. And I follow some comedians and stuff, you know. So it's great. It's great because when you don't have anything else but your phone, just, you've got plenty to read. I gather you have known Kristen since she was 12. Yes. What's the story behind you knowing it for that long? Kristen did a movie with my husband. He cast her in a movie called Catch That Kid. And he said, you know, there's this actress, this this young girl that I really, really want to hire for this. And he ended up, you know, using her in the movie and um, would come home every day and say, this girl is extraordinary. She's the real deal. She's going to be a big star. And he wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. And she's not any different than she was when she was 12. The same personality, the same desire to do really, really good work, you know, the same authentic self you know she's just lovely i adore her i have a question that's vaguely related to kristen because she plays an actress an aspiring Uh actress and she has to be an actress within the context of the film which you have done obviously in boogie nights as well paul thomas anderson has said that you were the best bad actress Uh on the film (laughs) and i just wondered Uh how proud you were of that accolade I'm pretty proud of it. That's not necessarily an easy thing to do, is it? I actually remember that day because pretty much the whole cast was present because we had to do, you know, we had to do that big scene and everybody laughed, which really, really made me happy, you know, because so you want to make people, you know, obviously doing stuff like that, you want to make people laugh. Do you remember any of the dialogue at all? I don't come up with the rent. I'm going to lose my apartment. My landlord is a real jerk. I think was that was the one. I think that was it. Yeah, that, that was, was it. The, my, there was yeah, there was some financial is a real issues jerk. between. That was my favorite. Yeah, was, yeah. I, you get the feeling that everyone in the crew is just trying not to <laughs> to laugh. To laugh. Yeah, which was great. Like over. I said, I was really happy that they were, <laughs> that they thought it was funny. <laughs> I've been asking a lot of people this recently, uh-huh. um, and I've been getting pretty odd results, but in a good way. Oh, okay. What is I can't the, wait. <laughs> what is the strangest directorial note? you've ever been given you're most obscure when you've been told to act purple or something like that oh my god i'm trying to think i mean i think i automatically thought i was like the best one can i say the best um it was when a guy said i was doing i was doing hamlet i was 28 years old and i was at the guthrie theater and i was playing ophelia in hamlet and i had to do the mad scene you know which is really scary so scary and so big and i had to sing all these songs and do everything and he just he looked at me and he said sorrow and that's all he said. Oh. And I was so blown away. And I think of, I've never forgotten it because, you know, so often people talk about, you know, playing crazy or, you know, what's, you know, what is the nature for illness and all this kind of thing. But it's sorrow. It's incredible grief. And he was able to kind of winnow it down to that one word. You're actually a UK citizen. I am. You're, you're a, one, of, one of the Queen's. I am know. one of the Queen's subjects. That's, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, right. Being back in the UK here talking to us now, is there any way that you're thinking back to Children of Men? Is that in any way in your mind? I wasn't, but now that you brought it up, Great sure. news. Yeah. Great news. Because I think it's a... I honestly can't think of a person I know that doesn't love that film. I love that film. Do people approach you a lot in the street if they see you? Do fans talk to you about that film a lot? People do talk about that. I mean, they talk about lots of other things, but that is one of the movies that comes up. It's it's an extraordinary accomplishment. You know, Alfonso Cuaron is a great filmmaker, and Clive was so, so very good. Um, and it was really an interesting uh, process, you know, and a great mm. surprise, I think, what happens in in the movie but I, I loved it I really really loved it you, you must have watched Gravity and gone well this is different you know Alfonso's work is always mm. different mm. it's always uh, I mean that's one of the things that makes him a really compelling filmmaker is that he's he's always going to tell incredibly unique and big stories mm. you know very big stories so as a British citizen as a Brit yeah. you're looking for a football team to support 
God. Should I just say Manchester United? No. No, Chelsea? I think you're not. Chelsea? Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the only Sorry. two I know? Something. Liverpool? Yes. Uh. Spurs. Spurs are good. Try them. Um, the Oscars are coming up, and I know you've been asked to, to death about it, but we have to. Uh, I have to ask you about, because you've been one of the people who's been nominated twice in the same year. Yeah, which is which is amazing it and is unusual. Great. Yeah, um, I lost though, but it's all right. You know, yeah, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you brought it up. Um, the did you write two speeches? No, I don't write any speeches. You don't, you have, so you're not going to write a speech for. Bad luck, man. Is it you bad know, luck? Do you I think, think it's bad so. Juju? Bad juju. Thank you for saying juju. That's one of my favorite things to That's say. A good word. Bad juju. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's not going to be nerve wracking to sort of stand up there, you know, not to jinx anything, but if you I, were to stand up there, just I, I, I got just one day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And and finally, we are in London. Yeah. Bring you are back we? to the UK. Are we we are a little bit. Okay. Where do you like to go in London? Is there? Is That's there a, where I thought I was. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> where Where do you like to go in London? If you have a free two hours, where would you go? Oh gosh, I mean, I love London. Um, I like to go. You know, I like I like to walk around Notting Hill and Bayswater. Um, I like to go. You know, I like to be in Mayfair, go shopping. Um, I like to go to Hyde Park. Um, I like to go to the. You know, I used to take my kids to the Princess Diana playground. Oh. You know, I mean that kind of stuff. You know, I mean it's all. I I I love the Portobello Road. I mean, mm. it's there's so there's so so there's so many great things here. You know, so I enjoy it. Well, this is how you pass the citizenship test, isn't it? You know, I had to name all my favorite places. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank Jan. you. Nice Cheers. to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Let's start off the review section with Still Alice. Then uh, Still Ali. So yeah, Still Alice, uh, a film that has Oscar written all over it um, because it's just got one of those amazing performances right at its heart. It centres on this Alice character who is a linguistics professor who uh, lives with her husband, uh, played by Alec Baldwin, Mm -hmm. who is great to see in a non-comedic role. It's good to see Alec Baldwin just being a a good supporting actor uh, buddying up here um, with her friend from 30 Rock. That's how he got involved with the project. Uh, They were looking for somebody who could we get to be her husband, and she said, oh, uh, I know this guy called Ali Baldwin. And he said, yeah, sure, I'll have to do it, as long as it's not me uh, goofing about doing comedy. And this one definitely isn't that. It's about early-onset Alzheimer's disease, and you have somebody who is this linguistics professor who is all about the words, a bit like myself today, <laughs> uh, who you see early on in the film gradually showing signs, very slight signs like pauses and, and, and beats that are, are a little bit worrying. And then you see it kind of tumble it happens quite quickly but she in a course of just like 30 days shooting out of sequence nails these different stages and time kind of passes here and there quite quickly but it is a very very strong performance and the film is the performance there are other characters here of course i mentioned alec baldwin there's also christian stewart who plays her youngest daughter who's a bit of a theatrical i just want to try things um type uh, la person uh, and then she's got other other children one of which is Kate Bosworth mm-hmm. um, so there's a lovely supporting cast around her but it is the Julianne Moore show just being brilliant scene to scene at times I felt it was a bit because it's jumping through time I went wow that's a really drastic change but I don't know what time is it's not it's not something I'm familiar with and this is almost like a, a learning process for the audience to discover wow this is what it's really like um, and it's about going to the doctors and, and, and coping with it as a family and it doesn't make you laugh shall I say, but it isn't a, a crushing misery type film. There is mm. light to it. 
Everyone in it is fantastic. She is particularly good. There are sweet moments. There are sad moments. It's got a lot going for it. The trouble is, it's just got 93 minutes to do it. And it seems at times a little light. And maybe I actually wanted a bit more of the brutal stuff of this is what it's actually like and the really tough stuff. And I don't want to give too much away, but it doesn't go truly into the heart of darkness here. Directed by Richard Glatzer and Wash Westmoreland. Richard Glatzer is actually, uh, he actually suffers from a degenerative disease, ALS. Um, and he, he, whilst on set, was communicating via an iPad. He can't move very well. He, he now lives at home, basically through the internet. And so it's a real kind of mirroring of, of, of the director and, and a degenerative disease. A very admirable film. I personally think that our five-star rating of this film, we've given it five stars, would be a little bit too much for me um, in terms of, of how good it really is. But no one will regret seeing this film. It is a, a at times, quite heartwarming uh, study of a interesting uh, character and how this very, very intelligent woman mm. copes with the loss of her faculties. I believe... Um, I believe... I should know this for sure, but I believe that uh, five stars in Empire at the moment means must see. So in the guide, you, yes, that's our rating. Uh, so must see, you must see this film for the performance. Yes, definitely, and yeah. it's going to be one of those films that's going to be in small cinemas, select yes. cinemas across the country. So seek it out. But you, it is. You, yeah, find it, Google it, see yeah. what see what's going on close to you. Yeah, I don't think we're saying it's one of the best films of the year. No, but nevertheless, the performance is very, very good. She's amazing. She is truly amazing. Five stars in for Still Alice. Uh, let's move on now to Chappie. The embargo has finally lifted on Neil <laughs> Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell's Chappie. We couldn't really talk about it uh, at all. I don't even think I could reveal that I'd seen it until yesterday. I couldn't even tell my wife. What's that about? Outrageous. I know. We had nothing to talk about. What, <laughs> what did you see last week? Nothing, can't tell you. She thinks I'm having an affair. <gasps> This is terrible. Chappie ruining lives. And yet, it's not, it's not a bad film. And we oh, yeah. Give yeah it let's that talk reputation. about the film. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yes. No, I want to talk about your marriage. <laughs> Shall we? Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, okay. Helen. Yeah. So this is uh, the new one from Neil Blomkamp and, as you said, Terry Tatchell. Um, it's the set in a sort of very, very near future. 2016 is mentioned at one point, but I think it might be like 2016, 2017. It's, yeah, it's yeah. very, very close to now. And yeah. the idea is that crime has gotten so bad, uh, in particular in Johannesburg where it's set, that the police have uh, adopted robot policemen, uh, which are, you know pre-programmed, they're able to respond to stimuli and orders. Um, they're not true artificial intelligences, though. And their designer, who's played by Dev Patel, wishes to develop true artificial intelligence um, and borrows one of these, a, de a decommissioned robot, a damaged robot, in order to test out his, his new program for artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. As he does so, unfortunately for him, he is carjacked by... <laughs> Um, by some baddens, by some armed robbers who are played by uh, a South African rap slash rave collective who <laughs> whose name I cannot The Antfurt. The Antfurt, yes. thank you. Ali is South African, <laughs> uh, of South African origin. Is that right? Yes, these people yeah. are notoriously bonkers. I don't know how yes. they got them onto set. They well, are insane. <laughs> I've heard I've heard rumours that they had <laughs> slight problems with them on set, but the, the performances on film are actually pretty effective. Um, I'm, so I, I, Ninja... I, I, don't, I don't 
agree okay, with that. Well, but, we'll yeah, okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, Ninja, the sort of uh, daddy, is is more violent um, and and more, frankly, unhinged. And then the mother f- figure, Yolinda, is is slightly more caring and maternal towards Yolandi. this... Yolandi, sorry. And the mother figure, Yolandi, is, is more sort of caring and, and maternal towards what is essentially a newborn intelligence. A very, very big intelligence, but a newborn one. So Chappie is essentially raised by these people with Dev Patel trying to kind of get his creation back. So he's carjacked, but then he's he becomes buddies with his carjackers. He's, mm. He doesn't have the choice, really. It's a, it's a slightly complicated situation. Um, but yeah, he's... he's They let him... He manages to get away from them but keeps going back because they have Chappie essentially um, but can't, meanwhile can't call the cops because he's compromised himself as well by stealing, by stealing Chappie, in the the first Chappie in the first place and then you have Hugh Jackman's character Vincent Moore who is ex-military and has his rival robots that he wants to get on the street now these are essentially ED-209 um, like pretty much exactly, but it's called Moose. Um, but it's controlled by a neural interface with, with a human being. So it's a kind of, it's already setting up a man versus machine intelligence sort of a, a, an issue. Um, and and he's kind of investigating what Dev Patel's character is up to. Uh, so yeah, it, Ch- Chappie himself I thought was quite a charming character in that newborn, innocent, discovering life way that, you know, all such characters I think are pretty charming on film. Um, the robot design and execution in terms of VFX is astonishing. You never for a second doubt that he has weight and he has presence. And, you know, that's partly obviously down to Charlotte mm. Copley, but also down to the effects guys. Incredible, incredible work by them. Um, I think the problem for me is, uh, and I don't want to get into spoilers, and that's really frustrating because most of my problems are spoilers, but it feels like this film sets up these this titanic sort of philosophical clash and doesn't really get into that. And it also feels like there's a... It's just getting going as it finishes. Like, that's what I want to see. That's the story that I want to see. And all this gangster stuff that happens uh, during the film, I could have done without, really. So I, it, it was effective to me in getting me thinking about stuff that would happen down the line from this, but it wasn't effective in telling its own story from soup to nuts. That was my biggest Mm. issue with it, I think. And I think if you developed the Deb Patel versus Hugh Jackman clash a bit more, Mm -hmm. you just needed one or two more scenes of them actually talking to each other, Mm -hmm. then I feel like it would have been a much more effective film because what you have in the end is that these two are both equally important and you didn't really get that from the film that we see on screen um, and I think that would have been that would have been magnificent I think if, if they'd if they'd focused on that and focused on those issues I think it would have been a much more powerful film mm. as it is in the same way that Robocop last year slightly disappointed us this felt a little bit disappointing it's better than that but it's still not all it could have been oh yeah I, I, I thought the Robocop remake was absolutely terrible one of the worst films of last year by Country Mile um yeah, this is interesting. I I feel that the film is a little bit of a muddle, mm. but I also feel that there's a lot of great things in it. And it's always nice to see a director really taking risks and swinging for the fences. And I said the same thing about Matthew Vaughn a few weeks ago with Kingsman. Um, you know, and even if those that, that swing doesn't always come off, it's nice to see directors in the mainstream taking chances and trying to put things on this big screen that we've never seen before. Um, I wasn't a big fan of The Antwort. Am I getting that right? The Antwort! 
Okay. In in the film, I thought that their performances were slightly weak, but also I thought the characters themselves were, especially Ninja. It's a really interesting idea that it is them playing themselves, falling on hard times mm. in a couple of years' time when they turn to crime. But I thought Ninja especially was a character that it's really tough to spend time with. There's absolutely nothing wrong in the film over the character being um, unlikable or unrelatable, but I think you have to be interesting, at least, in order to effectively become one of the heroes of the film. And he doesn't earn that at all yeah. I think um, and Chappie himself I found was quite irritating uh, absolutely really irritating I thought uh, initially it was um, it was almost like an actor's workshop actor playing child one on one with all the you know his chittery little childlike movements um, as he becomes more assured uh, the character becomes funnier but for me it doesn't have the emotional impact of, of Ficus from from District 9 his, whose that. emotional journey, his journey is is very moving and very impactful. I don't think Chappie's is necessarily. Uh, for me, the standout in this movie is not Sigourney Weaver, poor Sigourney Weaver, who Barely is saddled with a yeah pretty thankless role. But she has led to an alien movie, so we should be thankful for that. Um, uh, but Hugh Jackman, he's great fun. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he's ever met Sam, uh, our former colleague Sam Toy, who is a, an angry Australian who wore shorts with a beard. <laughs> Sam, if you listen to this, uh, mate, I think he's captured you yeah, absolutely right down to you know all the swearing and killing people. It's it's amazing. <laughs> Do you know what he's he's uh, really really good at being scary and bad. This is this has given me a lot of hope for Hook, like. Yeah. Hugh Jackman, bad guy, was really fascinating. I, I know he's played a few before, but this yeah. one I thought was on another level. Um, the mullet alone was terrifying. But the, the only thing that got me about his character, his his creation seemed perfect for the military. Yes. And there he is trying to sell it to the police. It's like, go to the army. They will buy it in a hot second. Why are you trying to sell yeah. it to the police? Jeez. But... Uh... Anyway. Yeah, no, true. But you know, for all the for all the muddle and for the for the fact that you know some of the characters are hard to spend time with, um, there's some great things in this. Yeah. Uh, Jackman's great fun. Uh, the uh, you know there's a couple of great action sequences. There's a really funny bit where um, Ninja and his sidekick America are teaching Chappie how to hijack cars, and uh, that's 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 that's, that's funny. really funny. That scene. Um, this film's getting a kicking at the moment. I kind of feel it's unwarranted a little bit. Um, for me, it's better and more enjoyable than Elysium. But um, in terms of is Blomkamp the real deal we thought he was with District 9 or was that a one-off? I kind of feel we're still on a fence a little bit with that one. Mm. Um, and I, I think Alien might settle that, whatever he does with the Alien franchise. But uh, it's interesting. He's saying himself he doesn't really know if he wants to be a director. Well, both of those films, um, District 9 even as well, mm. um, like this one, I was always more interested in what happened afterwards than I was in a lot of what I'd seen on screen. And I feel like he might have an issue with endings. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. But Possibly, yeah. Possibly. I, I, I kind of know what you mean. Yeah. This is interesting because like District 9, it starts off in the sort of COD documentary, COD newsreel format. You get mm. Anderson Cooper in this one. Yeah. Uh, so they've, they've made a bit of a step up. Um, which kind of establishes the world, establishes the, uh, the, 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 the environment and then just kind of Drops it. He drops it stylistically and turns into a you know a straight narrative, uh, which is which is kind of interesting, I guess. Also gorgeously shot. I, I, I yeah. actually want to say that it's um it's beautifully beautifully filmed, and there's some stunning slow mo um, yeah. of smoke and flame that is just gorgeous. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, we have given Chappie three stars. 
So that is recommendation. Do go and see it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. A lot of things that deserve to be seen on the big screen. Uh, next up is Hyena, which is a uh, searing cop drama from Gerard Johnson, which stars Peter Ferdinando as effectively Bad Lieutenant. It's a very much British version of Bad Lieutenant. This is a gut punch of a movie. I think I'm the only person in the room who's seen this one. Um, do go seek it out if you can. It's got fantastic performances. You will stumble out afterwards into the sunshine or into the night, the London night if you're in London. And, uh, you know, you'll just want to have a sit down and a nice cup of tea. Because this is this this movie puts you through the ringer. It's fantastically acted. Peter Ferdinando. If you don't know who he is, he was in Jared Johnson's uh, Tony, which came out a few years ago about a uh, very particular serial killer. He was also in Ben Wheatley's A Field in England. He'll next be seen in Ben Wheatley's High Rise. He was the bad guy in Ben Wheatley's Peter Capaldi episode of Doctor Who, the guy the robot with the half a face. Do you remember that guy? No, no. Mm-hmm. Helen remembers him. Of course, too. Yep. Uh, so he's very 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 good and he's basically playing a cop who has gone to seed in, in a major major way in this one and his corruption finally begins to catch up with him in this movie and leads him into a, down a, a series of increasingly dark decisions um, uh, and, and one of the I think one of the most interesting endings I've seen for a while um, but it's fantastically acted as well by people like Stephen Graham's in this he's, he's great uh, Richard Dormer uh, of our shores, Helen uh, is fantastic in this one as well. Miana, Miana Buren's uh, great as well, um, and it's about whether this guy has a soul, and it feels a bit like Bat Lieutenant in the well as well. And that there's someone there, there's like there's like a figure, a figurehead that he sees who, who could potentially offer a shot at redemption. Does he does he take it? Um, it's really really interesting, but uh, it's not a fun ride. But four stars. For hyena. Last but not least is Unfinished Business, a comedy in which Vince Vaughn and pals go to Berlin on a business trip and shit happens. They go to a gay bar and they have encounters with glory holes and they, you know, and Tom Wilkinson plays an old man who wants to have sex and says, swears a lot and that's the joke. And Dave Franco plays one of the most misjudged characters I've seen in the big screen for a long, long time. But what, you know, what it is, is this really kind of weird hybrid film where there's actually this kind of quite interesting not amazing but quite interesting story about this decent guy played by Vince Vaughn who wants to do right by his business and wants to do right by his wife back in back in America uh, pretty thankless role for the for the wife but nevertheless it's all focused on, on Vince Vaughn he's got kids one of whose one of whom is being bullied at school like that's kind of quite interesting not compelling by any means but and then every now and again remembers that it's got to be a raucous R-rated lads comedy in this post-hangover world and so people start getting their their, their you know willies out and there's lots of nudity and drinking and, and vomiting and whatnot and the two the two don't really mix and for me it's a bit of a shame because this is from uh, Ali you and I saw Delivery Man last year and it's, it's not a great film by any stretch of imagination it but it's like quite the, charming it sounds like the opposite of what this film is absolutely it seems baffling to me that Ken Scott the director of Lad and um and Vince Vaughn would go from that to this, which is not sweet, not charming anyway, and wastes all these brilliant actors, including Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller's in this is his ball-busting nemesis, and she's quite fun. And Nick Frost turns up, and he's quite fun. And Tom Wilkinson, poor Tom Wilkinson, gets absolutely nothing to do. And Dave Franco is absolutely terrible in this movie. Um, it's just a shame because you can see what it could have been had every scene been rewritten. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, holy cow, Jim Parsons. <gasps> Just We talked about him on the podcast and we made him appear. 
Bazinga. It's amazing. Bazinga. <laughs> He's going to be here to talk about the new DreamWorks animation movie Home and uh, Gemma Arterton will be dropping by as well to talk about the voices. So that's, that's a good pod, isn't it? Yeah, I just saw the voices last night. Would Whoa. You? Good? Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so weird, but maybe good? Yes. We'll discuss it. Okay, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. Goodbye from Grammar King. I'm going to call you the Grammar King now and that's no, your please, thing. Please don't. Your introductions. How can I... Okay, have a goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to finish my research into Bruce Natasha's uh, sex life. That's Bruce Forsyth and Natasha Kaplinsky, of course. No, no, it isn't. It isn't. I cannot stress that enough. Who's the Hulk in that one? That's why I said good guy. Stop it. Good guy. What a lovely Chitauri army. So much better than last week's. Um, right, anyway, I'm off. Bye. Bye.